morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Friday, the 28th of July, and my name is Helen Freer. On today's show, I'll be talking about the latest market news with Lucia Chachulovic, including, of course, the latest decisions from the ECB and the Bank of Japan. And then I'll be talking to Tim Gagey about currency markets. Regular listeners will have heard that we had our chief economist, David Cole, on the podcast on Tuesday this week to talk about the currencies we mentioned in our mid-year market outlook. And today, Tim is going to share his thoughts on what he's been seeing with these currencies in the markets. But let's start with the latest market news. Good morning, Lucia. Good morning, Helen. So we said at the start of the week that central banks would be in focus this week, and that has certainly been the case. We already had the US Federal Reserve raising rates earlier this week, and yesterday the European Central Bank followed suit. Could you tell us a bit more about the ECB's decision, please, Lucia? Sure, Helen. So the European Central Bank yesterday increased interest rates by a quarter percentage point. The main refinancing rate is now at 4.25% and the deposit facility rate, which banks receive for excess capital, is 3.75%. In somewhat of a surprise move, the ECB decided to stop paying banks for the money they are required to keep at the institution as a minimum reserve. This could cut billions from lenders' interest income. And in the press conference that followed the rate decision, ECB President Christine Lagarde emphasized, as did Fed Chairman Jerome Powell the day prior, that the central bank would continue to act in a data-dependent fashion. What happens in the next few meetings will therefore depend entirely on the data. The only outcome she did rule out was a rate cut. All right, so the ECB mainly met the market's expectations then. The Bank of Japan, though, has caused quite a bit of volatility in the market. Um, We have Tim on the show shortly to fill us in on the currency moves, but could you summarize perhaps what the Bank of Japan decided? So the Bank of Japan did not change its policy and kept its short rate interest rate target at minus 0.1% and that for the 10-year government bond yield around 0%. It will also continue to allow the 10-year government bonds to fluctuate in the range of around plus and minus 0.5 percentage points from the target level. However, the central bank did say that it will regard this range as a reference and not as rigid limits. It also added that it will offer to purchase 10-year government bonds at 1% every business day through fixed rate operations unless no bids are submitted. And this is a move that effectively expands its tolerance by a further 50 basis points. And staying in Japan, data released earlier today showed that consumer inflation in the capital Tokyo uh, slowed in July but remained well above the central bank's 2% target, with year-on-year CPI coming in at 3.2%, underlining rising price pressures. Okay, interesting, given that Japan has long been known for low inflation. Now, we haven't talked about the US yet. We got a lot of economic data yesterday. What did this tell us? The latest figures showed that there were few signs of recession in the US in the second quarter. GDP grew at a 2.4% annualized rate in Q2, better than the 2% consensus estimate. Uh, Meanwhile, durable goods orders rose 4.7% in June against expectations for only 1%. We also received new labor market figures, which showed that the number of Americans filing 
for uh, um, unemployment benefits fell to its lowest level in five months last week. The number of continuing claims also fell. This is really just further evidence that the US labor market continues to defy the Federal Reserve's attempts to cool it down. And let's not forget that we are seeing the fastest interest rate hikes since 1989, and the unemployment rate has barely moved, remaining at a historically low 3.6%. And then in other US-related news, US regulators unveiled plans to impose even tighter capital rules on big banks, setting up a battle with the industry over whether the push for financial stability will make the country's lenders less competitive. Okay, quite a lot of news for markets to digest then. So how did the markets close yesterday? So starting with European markets, they closed higher as investors cheered the prospect of the European Central Bank pausing interest rate hikes as soon as September, but they did not know the BOG decision yet. Um, so the US market started well, but then closed lower, also partly due to a mixed bag of earnings. The Dow Jones finally ran out of steam as investors cashed in following a historic streak of 13 straight gains in the index. In Asia overnight, Japan's Nikkei 225 led losses, closely followed by Australian stock markets, where the country's retail sales fell 0.8% year-on-year, which was disappointing investors who expected retail sales to remain unchanged from a year ago. South Korea's markets were more mixed, while um, Chinese stocks in Hong Kong advanced. This was led by technology stocks on further signs that a crackdown on the tech sector is easing. Moving on to bonds, I've seen that the 10-year US Treasury yield rose above the key 4% level yesterday. Where does it stand this morning? So the 10-year Treasury yield is just slightly below that. And the reason for the move yesterday was the strong economic data, which I mentioned earlier, and which could suggest that the Fed can keep on hiking rates. In Asia-Pacific, both Japan's and Australia's 10-year yield advanced. And just a few words on commodities, maybe? Sure. So um, gold is up this morning while oil is trading lower, but oil is still heading for the longest run of weekly gains in more than a year on an improving macroeconomic outlook and signs of a tighter market. Lots of things moving markets then. What else can investors expect today? Um, so starting off with the futures board, the picture is mixed in both Europe and the US, but futures for the Dow Jones and the S&P 500 index are up 0.3 and 0.4% respectively. Economic data today include the EU consumer confidence and the Swiss KOF leading indicator. We've already received France's GDP figure for the second quarter, which came in better than expected, and we will get Spain GDP later this morning. Um, in the US, investors will watch for data on employment costs, personal income, consumer spending and consumer sentiment. And possibly the most important figure will be the US Federal Reserve's favorite inflation gauge, the PCE core deflator. Great. Thank you very much, Lucia, for the comprehensive roundup this morning. Thanks for having me, Helen. Now, Tim, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning, Helen. So as I mentioned at the start, we're looking forward to getting your thoughts on various currencies following on from the comments from our chief economist earlier this week. Let's start with the US dollar, which we've seen gradually weaken lately. David said on Tuesday that he didn't think it would weaken much further from here. What are your thoughts on where the dollar is heading now? Yeah, indeed. 
I mean, if we take a step back, as indeed David did, we see that since the end of 2022, or near the end, we have seen a major weakening of the US dollar. Let's not forget, we were below parity in euro dollar, we were 105 in cable, I mean, name a currency. It was struggling against the greenback at that stage. This means that the easy move is over. That is hard to argue with. However, what makes any market so interesting is what a difference even one day makes. So when you and I, Helen, spoke yesterday morning about today's show, Eurodollar was trading at about 111.50, barely 50 pips from David's target, 112 for three and indeed 12 months. After the more dovish ECB, some poor German data and some very strong US data, the market made a decent adjustment to expectations. As a result, Eurodollar is pretty much below 110, all of a sudden, far enough from the target to become a bit more interesting. So I think there are absolutely still opportunities to sell some dollars, but definitely not at any price. Right here after yesterday's correction, I'd be quite tempted to sell a little bit of dollars, either here at the market, talking about against the euro or the pound, looking to pick up a return to something like 111.50, but it's pretty short term of view really. Um, or look at reverse convertible, to uh, pick up some extra yield or even an accumulator or a bullish TARF, try and build a position. Because I do think that there's more chance of us heading back above 112, 113 than going back to something like 105. That being said, if we find ourselves at 112, 50, 113, I'll probably have uh, a slightly different view again. And that is probably where you see most clearly the difference in time horizon and role between myself and David Cole. Okay, now let's look at the Japanese yen. David was saying that the Bank of Japan has been very hesitant in shifting its policy, more hesitant than expected, I guess. And we've heard from Lucia this morning that the Bank of Japan actually surprised markets earlier today. So let's talk about this first. What reaction have you seen uh, with the yen? Yeah, well, this was a, a very timely one, wasn't it? To be honest, yesterday I was... Uh, struggling to think of anything interesting to say and luckily uh, Ueda came to my rescue. So they were indeed on hold, the Bank of Japan, but they did shift their uh, yield curve control policy as we heard and we had a swing of about three yen from high to low against the dollar. Um, I wonder that Ueda may have made a bit of an error here, not in terms of the decision, I can't speak for that, but in terms of his communication. Ueda was hoping, was hoped, sorry, to be a clearer and more consistent communicator than Kuroda. But this morning's rather jumbled and surprising um, decision and move may mean markets are a bit more reluctant to take his word for things going forward, which was a problem that Kuroda had. So far, I think it would be very early to say, OMG, this is it, the end of the moon. But the reaction to the shift today does show how sensitive the market is to any tightening from the Bank of Japan or even the possibility of the possibility of tightening. And longer term then, when do you think the Japanese yen might recover? So the really tricky thing is that being long yen is a horrendously expensive position to take against pretty much any currency. To be long yen against dollar, for example, costs you almost 6% a year. So you better be right quickly, because otherwise any gains you make on the spot move are eaten up by the negative carry. And we've seen that uh, with, with some of the positions that we've seen their clients taking. Having said that, just to argue with myself even more, short yen is a very crowded position because it pays so well to be short yen. So if we get a bit more of a reversal if we get further uh, shifts from the Bank of Japan, then you start running through some stop losses, then the correction is, in the words of Hobbes, nasty and brutish, but not necessarily short. Overall, I tend to steer a bit clearer at the end, to be honest, because unless you have a very clear understanding of the drivers, um, the chance of getting your fingers burnt always seems so high. It'll recover. It absolutely will. At some point, we've been saying that for a number of years now, 
as you can see, timing such a position is so difficult and therefore so expensive. So you need very deep pockets and a lot of patience, neither of which I have. And let's finish with the Swiss franc, the best performing currency so far this year. What are you seeing here? Is there still a lot of appetite for the Swiss franc? The Swiss franc has done remarkably well. It's really sneaked under the radar, actually, as being the best performing currency of 2023. That had pretty much passed me by. The Swiss franc is obviously quite a low yielding currency relatively. So I think the main reason for this stellar performance is just the stability of the country and its economy. Um, there's really no magic here. But I have to say that at such levels, the franc does look a bit overdone. Dollar Swiss is a bit trickier because I do find it hard to be very positive on the dollar. But even there, can't really see it staying much below 86 or 85 for any extended period of time. And in Sterling Swiss, Sterling Swiss, for example, I still think there is significant upside or opportunity. Sterling Swiss is actually, so pound against Swiss francs, actually a currency that I really like to play from the long side because the yield differential is very appealing. And the range we have traded in for really quite some time now is very narrow, basically 110 to 115, with a little hiccup, of course, during Liz Truss's lettuce, I mean oversight. As a result, if you buy pounds against Swiss francs forwards for a year, you get over 4% in your favour, taking your outright rate miles below the 110 support that's really been the bottom of the range for quite some time. And equally, due to this positive carry, reverse convertibles, accumulators, bullish tasks, they price up an absolute treat. So for anyone happy to reduce exposure to the Swiss franc or take a short position at such interesting levels and want to start betting against the best performing currency of the year, this is a great way to do it. In answer to your actual question, which I've not yet answered, we have not seen huge appetite for the Swissy lately, but we've also not really seen too many big sellers. So I don't think positioning is particularly extreme or worrying. There is always the Swiss National Bank to keep in mind, but it's hard to see them wanting to strengthen the currency from here. So again, I would not see any major alarm bells on the horizon, and I would see the outperformance of the franc as something to take advantage of other than chase after. So with that, thank you, Helen, for having me on the show today and also coming up with the idea of linking David and myself across different shows. I very much enjoyed it. I'd be interested to hear what listeners think. So thank you to those who are listening and I wish everyone a happy and productive Friday. Great. Thanks very much, Tim, for sharing your thoughts. So that is all for today. Thank you again to my guests this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We'd love to hear your feedback. And do join us again next week. Bernadette will be back on Monday with more of my colleagues to talk about what is moving markets. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and then a great weekend. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.